This year's donations might go to, say, the geology department. Oh dear, not the dirt people. Geology is the study of pressure and time. That's all it takes, really. What kind of activity is turning lead to acid? Look, I'm just a geologist. I like rocks. I love rocks. All right, everybody. Hello, and welcome to the Geology Flannel Cast. My name is Steve. Hey there, everybody. I'm Chris. How, howdy. I'm Jesse. You, Lovely. You like, you like what I'm... I am trying a new me. A, I, I like it. I like the howdy. Yeah. Howdy doody. <laughs> I have no comment. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Turns, if, if you want to know what I'm like in real life, this is it. I don't put on airs here. Nice. Pretty awkward <laughs> meeting me. So uh, for those of you who are just listening, we do record this in video too. And um, I was going to get a haircut tomorrow. Can't now. So I'm just going to let it, let it fly. Have some sort of a scale bar and measure my hair growth over the next few podcasts and see how far it gets. I'm, uh, I'm digging this. Let's, let's see where it goes. Yeah. Don't change a thing. Yeah. Well, you know, keeps getting grayer. That's for sure. So anywho, well, so we got a lovely jam packed flannel cast for you this evening. I think we'll <laughs> see. I'll let you know at the end of the episode, how jam packed it was. <laughs> exactly. Chris edits it down to 20 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the intro and goodbye. <laughs> well, welcome everyone. Thanks for, thanks for tuning in this week for uh, uh, the geology flannel cast. Uh, the premier geology podcast, as we like to say. Yep. We like to say it. We don't know if it's true anymore, but... Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. That's true. <laughs> um, I don't know. Our Patreon seemed to think we're the bee's knees. The cat's pajamas, if you will. <laughs> All right. You guys want to... Let's jump into this. Let's, let's yeah. just go. Go, baby. Who wants the first story? <laughs> uh, well, first of all, I'd like to mention we have merch. Oh, we now have that? yeah we now have merchandise on our website uh currently we are selling stickers um which i don't have one right here in front of me embarrassingly uh, i got about are, 900 of them if you want to and, and then we are also <laughs> selling coffee mugs currently so um yeah, we 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 basically are doing this just because it's fun yeah we're, we're not we're not really, we're not making a profit off these things. <laughs> we are not what you call uh, efficient entrepreneurs. <laughs> we should post our text chain of like trying to figure out how to ship these at the cheapest possible. That's true. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, send us a comment. How to, <laughs> how to ship cheaply because that seems to be the, the biggest hurdle right there is the shipping. But uh Honestly, we all just wanted 50 coffee mugs and we figured this, this uh, was a way for us to do it. And if we don't sell any, we end up with 50 coffee mugs. Yeah. So, so if, you, uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, you can see I have the, uh, the if brand you're... new Geology Flannel Cast coffee mug here with the new, new little logo we have there at the, uh, the Coat of Arms logo. So, nice. Uh, and if you're not watching us on YouTube, you should be. Um, or the classic geology flannel cast sticker. We got these for sale too. So if you'd like to help support the podcast, uh, you can, uh, check out the merch section on geologyflannelcast.com. So everything's, everything's listed there and we'll get it out to you. Yeah. And then we're, we're, we're you know, we're going to expand pretty soon. You're uh, going to be able to get a, a geology flannel cast bike. When, you know what if we you, should do? If you remember those bikes hanging in the background of Chris's old apartment. We're going to sell those. I'm going to put a geology flannel cast sticker on there. And yes. You can <laughs> Bam. Geology flannel cast bike. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So we got them and uh, a couple other things coming in the very near future. So, um, but yeah. Uh, so that's, uh, that's out there. Some, some fun. Yeah. Little, fun Sorry. Little things. I just, I wanted to. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I forgot to, to mention that. So it was very good. Yeah. I feel like we mentioned it last week, but it was like the last minute, which, you know, yeah, yeah. So, uh, all right. Who wants? I don't. I don't imagine anyone turns us off. Gosh, no. The very last seconds. So. Goodness, no. I'm I sure they heard. Yeah, I'm sure. Who doesn't listen to our outro? Right. The best part. Yeah, it, it is our best part. Um, <clears throat> all right. Who wants to go first, gentlemen? Um, I, 
I'll, I'll go. I've got three. Do it. Back to back to back. Do we have, is that a, a chunk there? I'll allow it. Okay. We got the Jesse triple threat here. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So <clears throat> I'm going to start. I'm going to start oldest here. <clears throat> so there's this study out. <clears throat> um, it was in a French journal that I'm. I'm. I'm not even going to try and. No, I will try because why not? Why not anger that whole segment of the world? Uh, La anthropologie. That was pretty good. Very good. So um, <clears throat> it's so, anthropology, basically, with la. In front of it. Yeah, it was <laughs> L apostrophe. Um, so basically, some researchers were looking at. So there's a famous site in Spain, um, in northern Spain, um, called, here we go, really just um, <clears throat> Cima de los Huos. I'm not, I can't speak Spanish, I apologize. That's good. Uh, but it translates to something awesome, the Pit of Bones. I like Jeez. it. It sounds like an Indiana Jones movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, which, little quick sidebar, there's going to be another one. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, Sorry. Someone brought yeah. up a good point that he, I think he'll be like 72 when they film it. Yeah. And uh, Sean Connery, when he filmed the third one, was 58. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah, Sean Connery's only like eight years older than Harrison Ford or something. R.I.P. God rest his soul. Um, so anyway, the Pit of Bones, again, great name, which is, it's in northern Spain, um, yeah, north of, due north of, of Madrid, 150 miles north of Madrid, I guess, just quickly looking at a map, in case you're up on your Spanish geography. Um, so the site is, is pretty interesting, because it's got all these early sort of hominid bones in it. Uh, I don't know exactly what hominid bones related to humans, uh, related to Neanderthals. We should should have should have Alex on the show to uh, the guest uh, from from the summertime episodes ago. Yeah, um, but they've they've got like seventy seventy five hundred fossils that they think belong to at least twenty nine of these ancient um, hominids, and so they looked at. The bones, and they 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 dated them to a, a little under half a million years, so like four hundred thousand years ago. And so, by studying these bones, by studying sort of the the osteology, I guess, of these bones, they've they've recognized that they're they all show like diseases that are associated with vitamin d deficiency okay from lacking sunlight essentially so you, you see things like rickets and um there's a certain disease where you get bone deposits above your eye sockets Ouch. Uh, which sounds pretty rough but their take on it <clears throat> is that these early humans so this is during the, this is during the uh, a glaciation, so during the Pleistocene uh, glacial, interglacial cycles. So this is during a glacial. So their take is during the really harsh part of winter, during this ice age, these early humans are basically spending all their time in this cave. And so they're in this really dark environment where they're not getting vitamin D. Um, and to do that, they suggest that they went into some sort of hibernative or, or near hibernated, not near sort of hibernation. What? Yeah, that's so their, their whole reasoning is that like, er, a lot of sort of early hominids have adaptations for cold, like, you know, think about picture sort of the artist's depiction of a Neanderthal. Or look at a Neanderthal skull, they've got um, these anatomical adaptations to, to cope with the cold. They, you know, that's what gives them their distinct facial features 
you know, the thick nasal cavity and, and whatnot. And so they're saying, why not? Why, why wouldn't, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility that they could adapt and go into this hibernative state. Wow. Uh, um, some people aren't convinced. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Imagine. Others are, are skeptical, but they, they're also say that there's nothing wrong with the idea sort of in principle. I mean, I, I guess there have been human adaptations that have taken place in tens of thousands of years, like uh, adaptation to higher altitudes or adaptation to um, lactose. Um, people used to not be able to drink lactose and now most people can. Um, <clears throat> so I guess it's in the realm of possibility that uh, a long glacial period, a species could adapt to some sort of uh, extended yeah. stagnation period. I, guess. And, I don't know. And we, we in the modern, and, and this story sort of highlights this too at the end, we've been working on, we as humans have been working on sort of going into this sort of putting humans into this low temperature, low energy stasis. If they're experiencing say a stroke or, or, or cardiac arrest, um, where you sort of lower their, their metabolism and their body temperature. Oh, I thought you were going like Walt Disney or James Brown. And like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who's, uh, who's the baseball player? Ted Williams. Ted Williams. Yeah. Freeze him. Uh, no, you can get, you can, um, there's cryogenic services. I think the one is out in Arizona, 300 grand to freeze your body and 75 grand to freeze your head. There were a couple podcasts, uh, I think like radio lab or something like that that talked about how, or I think it was this American life did an episode about how one of the guys was like total quack. And oh, yeah. like, well, there was the, the yeah. one main place. There's a guy's basement, right? Oh no. I was saying there's one where it's like a legit, it's like in an office park, but they lost power for like three days or something. And they never told anyone. Uh, yeah, I did hear that story. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. yeah. You may have thawed out a little, but. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of it is like, we'll let the future deal with getting you back a lot, reanimating you. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe they could just take a, a DNA sample and just clone the person, you know? But at the same time, like, it's like a rich person's uh, cemetery plot. Like people buy cemetery plots, but there's no guarantee that cemetery is going to stay viable for more than a hundred years. Yeah. You know, but at least a cemetery plot, you know, there's no pretext of, and you make it back to life, like, Laz <laughs> like Lazarus or something. So yeah. they're saying, I, I, with this hibernation thing, the, the humans were, I guess, like just hibernating during the winter months when it was just like bitterly cold out? Well, their, their only sort of reasoning is that they just find these vitamin D deficiencies. Yeah. Now, I haven't read the actual article because it's in French. Um, uh -huh. Yeah. Bonjour. That's, that's where it starts and ends. Oui. Uh, but um, yeah, it's, it's basically... That's basically it. You've, you're as far as, as I am, and in sort of understanding, they, they just see these vitamin D deficiencies. But I mean... Hey, did you ever hear the story about the Vikings, how they overcame uh, the vitamin D deficiencies? They ate lots of cod. Oh, I was just about to, I was about to say uh, Arctic populations, like um, sort of the Inuit people in um, Greenland, yeah, you did really high fat diets and cod has, has that vitamin D with the, the high fat, I guess, mm -hmm. content. Yeah. Hey. It, that, that'll do it. And that's one of the things they're saying is that maybe they, I don't know. It, I, I was a little confused here. I'm missing where, I mean, you find vitamin D deficiency in um in sailors in, in no that's vitamin c that's you get scared. well yeah that, yeah that, sorry yes sorry vitamin um, c yeah but you find it in like if you looked at 
late 19th century, early 20th century, like 1800, 1900s, populations of northeastern Pennsylvania, you would find it from coal miners. Like people spending all day in the They're coal all underground, yeah, yeah. Developing rickets. And they're actually seeing an uptick in it. And I, maybe this is anecdotal. In kids today, just sitting inside all day, uh, developing sort of cases of rickets, you know, they're. Do you think there's going to be a spike in rickets because of COVID? Yeah, or, or even before COVID, just play in their Xbox. And yep. Yeah. I, and I'm not going to. Also, some parents you know, who do let their kids go outside, they don't go outside without like SPF 100 and, and their, their sun shirts and their long pants and their sunglasses and their yeah, it's interesting. hats. Does, and the, Does sunblock, does that prevent you? It blocks UV, but it doesn't stop you from getting the, vi- the sweet, sweet vitamin D. I don't know. I have no idea. I can't comment on that. Yeah. Well, how we'll about that? So, yeah, well, well <laughs> So, well, that's really interesting. So these guys are thinking that uh, there might have been some kind of hibernation or I yeah. guess hi- hypothesis. We should say they're hypothesizing. Hypothesizing. Uh, some sort of hibernation technique. That's, that's, yeah. that's a new one. So, I'll segue now. All right. So that, that's Europe, European. So that was like 450,000 years ago. <clears throat> now, let's think about North America. When were the first when were the first people in North America? Do y'all know off the top of your head? I was going to say 17,000 years ago. I think like 10,000 years is what they originally thought. Yeah. You, you both, you both nailed it. You're, you passed. All right. <laughs> so I, I was just a quiz. It was a one time, one question. So we have the, the are you suggesting that maybe they're pushing it back a little bit? Well, <clears throat> one, there's, they're, they are definitively, and two, there's another group that wants to push it back even further. Oh, so they are pushing it back more than 100,000. I'm no, sorry, 10,000, no, 10, no, I'm sorry. Yeah. They're pushing it back more than 10,000 now, More right? than 10,000, yeah. So the, the, the sort of uh, consensus is, is like 11.5, right at sort of the end of the Younger Dryas. Okay, okay. And so you get people coming across the land bridge um, from Siberia to Alaska, and the land bridge was known as um, Bering Strait. Well, it's the Bering Strait today. It was known as Beringia. Is uh, is the name of the actual okay. land surface, and so the land surface was exposed because sea levels were down because there was uh, all the ice on land, and in the intervening time, you know, to the present, all of that ice is melted, and now it's underwater. But anyhow, so these the people these people crossed over this land bridge, and so that this is this is when you start getting into sort of controversy is, you know, where exactly did they go and how long did it take, and um, <clears throat> so consensus like you all were saying like eleven thousand years ago was this culture known as the Clovis culture mm-hmm. because it was it was a type of there's a specific type of tool or, or spear tip or projectile point that they made that was really found out of Clovis, New Mexico. That's where the name Clovis people. And you find Clovis projectiles sort of all over. Um, you find even in Pennsylvania, the Meadowcroft, do you know about Meadowcroft? There's no, a never, no. where you find evidence of it. And Meadowcroft is, I want to say like 17, it's like 15 to 17. But dating gets a little sort of sketchy when you're looking at sort of stone tools in a stone rock shelter. Yeah, I what yeah, yeah, you can get tricky um, that stuff. So, but you find sort of sketchy evidence all the way down into South America pretty quickly after, you know, after the end of the the max of the last ice age. But they've they've found a couple sites um and so this one there's a site that's that's um they found in South America, or sorry, in Mexico. They find some sites in Brazil, but the dating is, you know, not entirely sure. But there's a okay. site in um, Mexico that's a cave um, that that's uh, at least thirty-five thousand years ago. Wow! And they find Holy all, cow. all of these stone tools. Um, 
and they they they've dated it because they've they've got hearths where they were burning stuff and so they can carbon date and they've also got um they can date there's bones in there from both human and animals that they can date um oh no sorry animals that have tool marks on them so they're dating the bones and the tools and so they've got osl as well the what we talked about last week where you're uh, optically stimulated luminescence so they got two two ways to measure the dates on things radiocarbon and osl and it's all giving these these dates of like thirty thousand years ago wow and How so about that? <clears throat> they're sort of saying all right you know it, it looks like people were here before that it's sort of it's interesting um because you find that if you start i started digging into it a, a bit and you have all these sort of sketchy sites there's one in brazil that may be you know forty five thousand years old okay but it's just it's just like this little carbon layer and it's like so charcoal. They, charcoal okay yeah yeah, yeah. so they're like so are they using have the um you can use thermoluminescence for some of that or yeah. i guess for the pottery you can use the thermoluminescence yeah so this but this is yeah so they're People are saying, well, this is a hearth. This is where they have, you know, a fire. But you could also say maybe it was just a wildfire. Yeah. That's, yeah. You know, so part of it. But this this looks pretty unequivocal, unequivocal that it was, you know, these are tools and it's inside the cave. And it's what, all 35,000 years. Where does that put you in the glacier, in our, in our glacial? It's, it's in the, you're in the glacier, the glacial. You're not in the max. It, it's getting colder. <laughs> So they may have. Uh, yeah, it's, that's Wisconsin. Yeah. So, so it's interesting. It, it's interesting because it shows how far people had spread all the way down into Central and then, then into South America. How wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, but even if you think about Meadowcroft in Pennsylvania, you know, you're making it all the way across the U.S. Yeah, that's incredible. And, and, but they do think these were all descendants of Siberia. Mm-hmm. Or or Asia, you know, as a whole. Yeah. Okay. So none of these are sailing across from the. No, no. This all looks like they they walked. So um. Uh. So that's that. This this looks pretty good. Let's, wow. That's that's yeah. That's 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 pretty crazy. Pretty good. Now we get into where we speculate and we get armed. All right. I think this might be it. the story that I, that I came yeah. across as well. Yeah. Am I taking the pro or the con? <laughs> hear, hear us out. Yeah. All right. So this one comes from, so there's a famous sort of um, death assemblage of mastodon bones in, uh, in this outside of San Diego. It's called the Cerruti Mastodon site. I assume Cerruti. it's after friend of the podcast <laughs> yeah he must have discovered it yeah. yeah um by the way he just got married congrats yeah yeah ah, hope you're listening buddy yeah catherine Saruti, congrats bummed, bummed we couldn't be there yeah exactly poor guy pushed his wedding back twice and finally was like forget it <laughs> he's initially scheduled for may of may <laughs> yeah and then it was july or something i forget august or something yeah, yeah. <clears throat> anyhow um yeah. So this this site, you find all these bones, and so there's a group of researchers working on these bones, and they're 130,000 years old. Okay. And with the bones, you find stones, bones and stones, classic. Yep. Um, <laughs> that was my um, metal bane name in yeah. high school. Bones and stones? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they... <clears throat> The researchers working on this have said that these bones are ancient tools. Now, if I don't know if you've ever seen like early hominid or early modern human tools, they're basically just rocks. And now they, I don't want to, they, these anthropologists and whatnot know what they're doing and they can tell when something is a hand axe or whatever. But I'm looking at these rocks and they look like rocks. And I know rocks. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's, uh, that's a good point. You do know rocks. Yeah. Um, but they're claiming these are, so that was sort of their, initially they're like, these, these are early human tools and they were using them to either butcher these mastodons or, or break apart the, the, these dead mastodons. Do they got the pictures eyes. of these, of these rocks on the website? Yeah, did here I'll send you the yeah send send this one over. I'll, I want to take a look at this and see. Uh, it's just sort of in the header. I, I, yeah, dig up right. the actual paper. But um, all right. <laughs> look at the stone anvil. Stone anvil. Um, <laughs> it's, it's rock. So yeah. So basically, they're saying that that the bones were placed on top of the rock, and they used another rock to break them open to get say the marrow out or or whatnot. The thing is, and then, so a lot of, a lot of, there was a lot of speculation and there were a lot of other researchers were like, well, I mean, no, uh, you know, there, there's a number of factors that can give you just these rocks and could give you broken bones. And they, they, the big one <laughs> is that this site was found because of construction. And so you had construction equipment that actually rolled over a lot of this material. Oh, jeez. So like the breaking up. the bones and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And now they've, they've come out with a new paper to rebut this. And they're saying, actually, we're, we're finding um, residue of bone on the rock itself to say it was hit. Like, but I mean, couldn't you just say that if the, I, and I don't know of the circumstances, obviously that the construction equipment was running over these, <laughs> all this stuff, but if you had the construction equipment running over and then the bone was scraping on the rock, like, can they? Yes, so yes, basically you're, just, you're, that, you're correct. Yeah, it sounds That's like there's- The main thing is, there's still because, a lot of variables going on. There's because, a lot of extra bioturbation going on. <laughs> because there's a big missing ingredient here, and it's 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 collagen. Okay. Okay. Collagen yeah. you, you have in your bones, and so if the stone, the the main argument against this is that if the bones were, if the stones, the stones, stones and bones, bones <laughs> you would expect collagen to also preserve on the stones. You would see traces of collagen. Well, but, I mean, the collagen breaks down pretty fast. Well, yes. And, and that's what I've had problems, like some of the stuff that, that you and I have been looking at. Yes. Uh, where the stuff's like, you know, uh, 10,000-ish years old plus, and, and the collagen's breaking down. So it breaks down out of the, the bones really quickly. Mm-hmm but they're saying you should still trace it on the rock from breaking the bone. And so <clears throat> you should still. So okay, the, let rebuttal, me see, let me... the rebuttal article is just as weak as the initial article. Is that what you're saying? So, yeah. <laughs> so they're, they're basically saying, you know, it, it's very possible collagen had already disintegrated because the bones were just deposited and the stones were there and then they got smashed into the bones from the construction work. Yeah. So yeah. the collagen had already broken down and that's why you don't find any of it on the bones. Um, so the, the collagen has all disappeared. You find none of it on the bones. And they're saying, well, you, you would still be able to find some trace of it on the bone if it's smashing or into the stone if you're smashing into these bones. Mm -hmm. um, so it sounds like they're going to end it to say agree to disagree. Yeah. It, it, you know, I'm, I'm not a big skeptic. I, I like to give people the benefit of the doubt, but boy, this seems. I guess my question is, does that stone anvil, fit Sasquatch's hand. That's what I want to know. Yeah, that's the only <laughs> explanation, really. 
Uh, See how many podcasts in a row we can talk about Sasquatch. Trying to get those listeners up. You're and you're also talking about. I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure. You're you're talking a hundred thousand year, a hundred thousand years ago, like modern humans evolve if you want to be generous 200,000 years ago mm-hmm. and you're talking about them not only sort of migrating just out of Africa <clears throat> coming all the way across Asia coming coming across Beringia at you know the height the last major interglacial was 125,000 years ago where you have higher sea levels because you have more more ice that's melted. Ah, it's you're, you're so you're telling me they walked all that way. I mean, Forrest Gump ran from Alabama out to Arizona, you know. So that's a uh, good point. <laughs> have you um? Have you? This is sort of us. We're getting side. Getting, shockingly getting sidetracked here. Um, <clears throat> have you seen, there's a guy, Paul Salopek, and he's doing this, it's called Out of Africa. And he started, I want to say like seven years, I've been following him for like seven or eight years. He's doing this, he's walking the, the route that humans have taken in their evolution out of Africa went through the Middle East, went down through, um, the, I, I don't did he go through, I don't, I think he, yeah, he went through India, now he's up into China. No, he's in, um, I don't think he got to China yet. I think he's. Wow. So. Yeah. What, he's doing the walk. Who, who's funding this? Uh, he, he crowdfunds a bunch of it, but Nat Geo is doing. Wow. Throwing yeah, so he writes So about, this has been eight years? Eight years, yeah. So it's it's really interesting. That's wow, pretty incredible. Yeah, he's he's making the Appalachian Trail look like like a like a warm up. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, if he's walking it, it's not like he's you know, well. It's, he's going to super fast hiking it, but oh uh, yeah, but he's going to have a, a hard time once he gets up into like Mongolia, I guess north of. North of there, that's gonna, that's not gonna be fun. He might be in the Mong- I forget where he's at now, but he writes all these like, and he, he has local guides that walk with him, and it's really. What's his name? Paul what? Salopec. Here, oh, okay. If you if you just do, I think it's like out of Africa. Yeah, he's he's all over the internet. Yeah. Yeah, it's out of Eden. Out of Eden. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Um, send him an email. See if he wants to come on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Can you take a, a little time out of your busy day, please? Wow, this is a heck of a trick. He's got time. He's oh, got he's time in the world. He's skipping. Okay, so he goes up into like he's he's not doing the land bridge. He's skipping a, the, a whole a, a portion of it, but then he's uh, back Chris, up. There is no land bridge right now. It's on, it's on no, I, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. They're, I, I, they're, they're going to lower sea level just for this guy. All right, listen, I, things are about to get awkward. I just wanted to rescue you. <laughs> wow. Let's see if I find out where he's at. But that's a, that's a heck of a, a walk. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But that's only eight years. Yeah. He's I so, mean, you, you but, talk about eight like that. That's well, well within one generation of just yeah. people following food. It looks like he's in um, following uh, food east of from, east of India right now. Following food or running me. from enemies or. But uh, you think about like when we had Alex on the show, whatever show number that was, where he talked about. I think he was he was near Denisova, the cave in in Russia near Russia. Mm-hmm. And that that was that was early humans, but that was only fifty thousand years ago. Right. So now you're talking in America already and 50,000 years before that. I don't uh, know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, a lot, yeah. I feel like a lot of this early stuff is. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, though. Some of the, the, the tools that are like definitively tools 
yeah to me still look like rocks <laughs> so <laughs> i mean to me know, calling that a rock is just like yeah but geologists if you look at clovis points or whatever <laughs> they they're projectiles that people have shaped into yeah yeah and you could you could see that and I, like i know what an arrowhead it looks like and all, all that jazz but uh, sometimes you see these hand axes, like basically a, a yeah, a sharpish rock you hold in your hand. I don't know. Looks like a rock. But it looks like you know. Where, where did we talk about a game in Philly where we people used to just throw rocks at each other? I feel like no, we talked about. I feel like we talked that, about this once. That's uh, that might be. I know Philadelphians aren't like. They're in a different world, but I don't. I think that's a little bit below Philadelphia. Come on, let's. <laughs> I, I I've definitely had this conversation before. I thought it was on the podcast, maybe not, but yeah, you never um, used to just throw rocks at each other. Like I, I remember thinking, like maybe that kind of sounds familiar, but maybe I've had injuries from it. <laughs> so yeah. Anyhow, that's that's my human human stories. <laughs> all connected yes maddie uh philly sports fans are the best <laughs> um, um listen I, the, the, all right just for those of you who are only listening uh chris just typed a comment about throwing snowballs at santa claus i take great issue with this first of all it was like 40 years ago second of all <laughs> Santa Claus was like on the, 50 years ago. He was on the field and he was visibly intoxicated. Yeah. And the fans were upset with the fact that they would let a drunk Santa on the field. They're yeah. also losing too. The so Eagles they, are losing that game. And yeah, so they were throwing them. snowballs at Santa the because fans they were disappointed with the product that was being put like, Hey, that's, that's not a, well representation of santa so this has nothing to do with just we're so bad we throw snowballs at santa the the fan and maddie just said the fans were drunk too the fans are expected to be drunk yes santa, exactly exactly not. santa is held to a higher standard I'm, i don't want to say he deserved it but he probably deserved it yes uh you know i'm, I'm gonna tell you right now i've been to well over 100 eagles games i've you know probably been to the same amount of phillies games uh Sixers games, maybe, I don't know, probably half of that at Flyers games. Uh, Super yeah. fan over here. Yeah, man. So uh, I feel like I have a somewhat of an authority to, to speak on this. So it just gets me mad when people bring up Santa Claus. But, um, and, you know, Maddie just pointed out the fact that we grease our poles whenever we win something. Yes, once every 50 years. We have to grease up the poles so people don't climb on top of them because, you know, safety first. Uh, so that's, that's where we are. We've, we've gone from crossing land bridges. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. Good digression. <laughs> we've evolved that we, we grease poles so we don't climb them in celebration. Exactly. Um, um, real fast to go back to the real, uh, just very briefly to go back to the, the question we had about do you, what happens if you wear sunscreen, do you not get the vitamin D? And uh, our friend Frank on Patreon said that vitamin D, um, to take for your body to make vitamin D, you need that ultraviolet light. So I would, sounds like the sunscreen hinders your vitamin D production. Now, yeah. let, me, let, me ask, let me ask you all something. <clears throat> if you were hibernating in a cave, you're an early human, and you want to put allegedly it, hibernating. I'm not buying this 100 percent that these humans are hibernating, but continue. And you want to put up a "Do Not Disturb" sign, mm -hmm. and you're typing it up, and your margins aren't correct. How would you go about formatting that? Who would you ask <laughs> these questions? That is a great question. Uh, I think that's Word Two. Is that? <laughs> I think that's Word Version Two. <laughs> So that, that is a great point. Good segue, Jesse. Uh, we were just about to get to our great sponsor, The Formatting Formula. So thank you for that. Um, sorry, we got uh, too engrossed in Philly sports. That's, that'll, that'll do it to me every time. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, word two, right? Is that? I was word, word ug or something. Word, yeah, word ug. 
we're Neanderthal. <laughs> but I, I wouldn't be surprised if the formula formula could figure that out and you know translate it from wing ding into uh yeah, how does the formatting formula I'm work with like uh <laughs> like uh the the cave writing petroglyphs ah, okay yeah i'm sure i'm listen i've given them some old stinking pdfs before and be like i need this in word and they're like okay like hang on <laughs> like because i do it and it comes back like hieroglyphics i give it to them and they give it back to me like this awesome word document so um <clears throat> Yeah, for all of your word formatting needs, please, 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 please check out uh, www.formattingformula.com or YouTube forward slash C forward slash formatting formula for all of your word documenting needs. They can, yeah, I'm pretty sure they could probably translate cave paintings into, you know, Calibri or Times New Roman or. Add a table of contents to the. uh, Exactly. Petroglyphs. I, I, they probably could. Um, it, it came up at work today. Like, do you think someone can actually read wingdings? <laughs> and I, I'm betting there is somebody out there who can read it. Um, there's a, uh, there's a whole story about why that font came about, and I, uh, you know, I should just shut up until I remember the story. Yeah. But if, if you ever gone into the like, you know, usually you go to font and you click the top three because there's like. Calibri and Times New Roman and I don't know, maybe something Garamond or something. Uh, but there's like hundreds and hundreds of them. And I, you know, the formatting formula could figure out like, hey, you know, that double space in this sentence isn't Times New Roman. It's actually a different font because the double space is too small. Like they can figure out stuff like that. Like they're just crazy. So please, please, please check them out. And more than that, tell them geology flowercast on you. We've actually had a few comments back from the format for me saying, Hey, got some people coming from the podcast. Thank you. So keep them coming people. Appreciate it. Send them comments. Uh, check them out on YouTube. Give them uh, subscribe to them on YouTube. They really appreciate that. Just like you could subscribe to us on YouTube, we'd really appreciate that too. But we're here to push the formatting formula, not us. <laughs> so check it out. Um, yeah. All right. So back to the lecture at hand, as Snoop Dogg would say. You want to go with your story, Steve? Uh, we can. I guess Jesse's done with the triple threat, right? Uh, yeah, right. I'm winded. Listen, that was a lot to take in. It really was. <laughs> um, so I was just going to talk about uh, the moon, but I'm going to keep it non-planetary stuff because I know that upsets Chris. doesn't upset me. We were just doing too much of the... Uh... Uh-huh. I felt like we needed to, you know, round it out a bit, you know, keep it. I, you know, I'm not going to lie. There was a lot of the news that was just planetary stuff for, for a good chunk of the time there. But um, so, no, this is terrestrial in nature. And this is about um, methane deposits. We talked about methane deposits before and collaterates and things like this. But there was this group of scientists um, that was studying the Arctic oceans and how they leak methane gas. Like, okay, there's a little bit known about this, that methane can leak. Um, And, you know, there's obviously a lot more greenhouse gas in the atmosphere. And a lot of that is contributed to humans, but there is increase in methane in the atmosphere that is non-anthropogenic in nature. Basically it's coming from, you know, the earth itself. And what this study did that was different than other studies is it actually put these piezometers in the ground. So a piezometer, um, I deal with these a lot at work in environmental consulting and things like that. So you drill a hole in the ground, um, you have water in the ground, groundwater, you put these piezometers in and they actually, it's basically just a a device that measures uh, pressure change. They can, they can do a few other things if you want them to temperature and things like that, but they essentially measure the difference in the change of the water pressure on this device itself. And that 
slight difference in pressure can tell you lots of different things. It could tell you if the groundwater table is moving up and down or, or what's happening. So what these researchers did is they put these piezometers in the subsurface of the ocean, in the, the shallowish ocean, and they noticed that um, based on the lunar cycle, it was the deep ocean. Uh, meters is what I was reading. Am I wrong? I could be wrong. I thought at the very end, they say that they wanted to continue the study in shallower water. Okay. Um, but the, just this slight change from essentially the tides from the moon, the, the difference in, you know, those, those couple of feet from low tide to high tide, low tide has less pressure on the subsurface sediment and just that little bit of change of pressure can actually release a lot more methane. Now, normally when they measure methane, they measure bubbles and like, you know, they, they measure these huge releases, but without these very sensitive piezometers to notice the difference, they would have noticed this essentially methane release. So, um, it's more widespread than they could see using traditional sonar or things like that. So, um, it's just a really interesting, different look at how to measure how methane is getting into the surface. So, um, so, well, the, the one interesting thing they were talking about was, yeah. So during low tide, you basically, um, it's just, so there's a little bit of less hydrostatic pressure pushing down on the, on the, on the sea floor. And they started to notice the, the methane coming out. Um, but they were the, the question that they're like the thought experiment they were talking about this article was with continued sea level rise, if we add more water into the ocean, that could potentially kind of balance this out a bit too, and kind of keep that methane in check. So they're interested to see, what's going to happen with continued sea level rise as we keep on adding more water into the ocean, how that's going to affect the, the methane. So they can actually see the methane kind of, uh, from, from my understanding of the article, it seemed like they, they saw the methane uh, coming out of the sediments, but it was still staying in the water column because the, the study was in, in, the, uh, in deeper waters. And they were saying, well, we, we want to continue this study into more of the shallower waters because in the shallower waters, that's where the methane has more of a chance to actually come out and go into the atmosphere. So all, it seems like, uh, like I said, from my understanding of the article, that all the methane that they were looking at is still staying in the water column. It's not, it's not going out, it's not leaving the water and it's not going out into the atmosphere. Now, my, my question to this was, um, are they taking into account that warmer oceans mean less dense water, which means that the water is essentially lighter that would lead to more methane being released. That's, that's what I was worrying about. And I understand the, the tidal influence is going to be much greater than the density. In, uh, you know, it'd have to be like a hundred degrees warmer in order to match the same amount from the tidal influence. But at the same time, I don't know. I, I feel like they're, they're leaving a little bit out of that equation as to, Oh, you're going to have more water. So it's going to be deeper. So you're going to release less methane and, you know, this is the way of the planet kind of equalizing things like, you know, leveling out the seesaw. I, what do you I think would have more of an effect though? Would it be the actual volume of water with the increased hydrostatic pressure? Or do you think that how much, how much, it, it, like it how would. much would that density affect it? Cause I think the hydrostatic pressure, I mean, without no, doing no, any calculations, no. the, the hydrostatic pressure would, would definitely have a larger influence on it. Um, and also a warmer ocean, it, you know, the warmer ocean is less dense, so it takes up more room, which then adds more volume, which then adds more hydrostatic pressure. Yeah, it, is, it, it so, expands. Yeah. You know, one third of sea level rise is from warming. Right. But then, so if it expands, you, you take something that's this heavy and this big, and you take something that's the same heaviness, it's just bigger. Yeah, I want to. How does this affect the chemistry? Does it? Are you getting these pockets of like anoxia, or does it make it more acidic in these places? So it did, what we read uh, didn't didn't mention anything about. No, no. This is basically just that. just uh, 
it, it was the first time they were actually because they use bezometers, which are you know fairly sensitive, and they're essentially uh, continuous readings over you know you know I say long period of time, but you know you know you can use them for weeks to months to even years. Um, <clears throat> this is the first time this has been done to measure these subtle changes um, in the sea floor. So it was it was just it, it was just a, a neat study that was done in the sediment in the seafloor. Yeah, so. the quote at the end is, is very true where the she was like she ended it by saying fascinating. Yeah, I saw <laughs> that. I saw it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um yeah I I don't know. I just read this and I thought like, huh, that's pretty neat. Somebody taking a different uh, a, a very, you know, psometers have been used for decades, like but just applying them in a different environment and using them to and you know essentially measure this this phenomenon that has a huge potential effect i mean methane is 20 times more potent a greenhouse gas than co2 mm -hmm. now methane has a much lower resonance time meaning it stays in the atmosphere a lot less but you're talking 20 years instead of 150 years or something like that so methane is still a big deal and i think i brought this up once before on the podcast does anyone remember sequest the, the show yeah uh <clears throat> so there was this uh futuristic television show it was like star trek but under the water and uh they had banned beef in the future because cows fart too much and were creating too much methane which was creating too much greenhouse gas so you couldn't get a burger anymore. So that was one of the episodes like, you know, they, they busted like an illegal cow farm. I forget what it was, but anyway, an somehow, illegal cow farm. <laughs> somehow, somehow they ended up to get their hands on some beef. And uh, it was, it was a big deal because, you know, methane can be a much more potent gas than CO2. So, but see the problem with CO2 is once it's up there, it's kind of up there. It's up there for thousands of years. Once methane's up there, yes, it's 20 times more potent, but it's up there for, you know, 20 years or something, and then it breaks down into more simpler complexes that are not as effective. Well, greenhouse one of the things gases. it breaks down into is CO2. Right. So <laughs> Waka waka. <laughs> so it's win-win if you're in it for the heat. <clears throat> um, do you want to you talk about that, uh, that salt mine thing real fast? We can, yeah. I got, I got a couple. I got things to add about it. Oh yeah, yeah. I got, okay, so um, okay, so it's it's actually kind of a I'll bring the podcast down a little bit. Uh, it's kind of a sad story. Uh, look, there was a there's a salt mine in Louisiana, uh, out on Avery Island, and uh, there was a collapse inside the salt mine, and. Uh, Right now, there's one miner that's that's dead, and, and another one missing. After this, um, I'm sorry, not if another one's still still missing. They haven't they haven't found him yet. Um, but uh, so that's that's a very sad story, and that's uh, you know, that's that's no bueno. But uh, that that I just wanted to talk a little bit about that area in Louisiana with the with the salt deposits out there. So number one. This, this salt mine was in Avery Island. You guys know what uh, what else Avery Island is known I, for? I do. Do you, <clears throat> yes, God. This is uh, it is home of Tabasco. Yes, yes. It's, it is. It is named. Well, it's named after the Avery family, but um, Edmund, uh, what's it, McElhaney, who started Tabasco, married uh, an Avery, and that's how he ended up there with all the salt. He he was kind of obsessed with peppers. Um, since you, you could say that. <laughs> <clears throat> but yeah, and then he started brining him when he was there. But he, he's an interesting fella. He made a lot of money in the 1850s. And he, when he married, uh, um, I think Mary or Eliza, something Avery. It was an Avery. And um, she was down from Louisiana. So it was a Southern. He's from up north. Well, somewhere. N not Confederate. And he moved down there. And when the Civil War started, the family 
um, left Louisiana, left this island because of the, there was, I guess, naval blockades or whatever, went to Texas, and that's where he became obsessed with peppers because he started eating all this food. But they con- he converted his entire fortune into Confederate dollars. Oh, jeez. So, so, uh, <clears throat> so anyway, they were broke after the war, and he kind of just, he spent like his, they spent his remaining years on the island, but basically just cultivating peppers, and like he was kind of just this, just go around cultivating peppers and like a gentleman farmer in his old age. Oh boy. <laughs> just a, a fun fact about. So how did Tabasco start? Because he would brine, there was all this salt on the island, there was the salt mines. So he just got into brining different peppers. Oh. And that's okay. how you make Tabasco sauce. That's why it's different from, uh, it's not as vinegary, it's very salty. Um, I like Tabasco. It's, it's, I, do. I, don't, I don't use it enough. I use too much sriracha. That's, I, I need to yeah. start using more Tabasco. I'm a Tabasco fellow as well. Do you, are you guys, I want to talk about this other thing related to this, the, the salt mines in this area. Um, so are you guys familiar with Lake Pingyor? Yes. Like within a couple miles of Avery Island, right, right out there. In the, yeah, that was another salt mine disaster, but that was, that was not... That was not because of the salt mine. That was because yes. of oil prospecting. Yes. That, yes. That was. Uh, so this area, this area that we're talking about, it's about a two hour drive west of New Orleans. Huh. And back in 1980, Texaco was looking for oil in under Lake Ping, Pignor. I can't pronounce it. Pignor. Pignor. Yes. And uh, just was, real quick, like salt, can act as a basically a reservoir you know it can you it can act as a cap for petroleum products for gas yeah, for a oil, trap. for yeah so you know they call them salt traps so having salt in the area was logical so that's why texaco was there because they were like oh well if there's salt there might be oil underneath it so so there was an engineer that was working on uh you know that was figuring out where to drill was was doing the math doing the the trig on where to figure out because what you want to do is when a lot of times oil you get these these salt domes salt when it's underground uh becomes it it flows all right it's it's less buoyant than the surrounding area surrounding rock and it tends to form we call these uh these domes or 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 salt diapirs right and it's basically almost like a, a big column of salt and I guess it literally starts flowing up through the rock very slowly. It acts like a plastic, right? But what happens with salt, it kind of, as it doesn't, uh, it, it tends to be very, um, like it doesn't have any, any, any fractures or anything in it. And one of the things that happens is when you're getting oil forming, the oil migrates from your source rock into your reservoir rock. And so what happens is that migrating oil, like what Steve said, gets stuck on the sides of these salt diapirs. And that's, a, that's what we call, it's, it's, a, it's a trap for oil. And that's, that's usually like the, the magic spot where to, where to drill. So the people in the oil companies are always looking for, for these salt diapirs. And they, they, can, they can be big, these type. In Avery Island, it's two and a half miles wide and three miles long. Like they're wow. Big. Yeah. Wow. And if you look at... <laughs> I'm trying to find the thickness of them too, but if you you can look at pictures and you can see like, you know, you can do you drive big dump trucks into these mines? Oh yeah, they're gigantic, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and they leave these big columns of salt in there yeah. to like act, act as supports. And yeah. I think we did talk about Lake Pinor in an early early episode. Yeah, I think we did too. I I love it's a it's a fascinating story. But anyway, so the engineer made a mistake, made a. Uh, 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 screwed up his math basically with the, the trick that he was doing and they accidentally they were drilling through the lake and they drilled through into the salt mine so now they pulled out the the drill rig and they knew something was wrong right away once they hit that salt they're like uh, like you could tell the drillers knew. they they pull out their equipment and water starts flooding into the salt mine so what do you think happens when water starts flooding into the salt mine? Right. <laughs> it starts dissolving out the salt. So magically, nobody was, they, they evacuated the whole mine. Magically, nobody was killed in this thing, but the whole mine was flooded out and they actually drained the entire lake. The it it drained so much that the, 
Mississippi River yes. started flowing backwards. Yes, the Mississippi River was flowing from the Gulf of Mexico, draining into Lake Pinar. And there was a, a giant waterfall that it was something like a, the biggest waterfall in the United States outside, uh, outside of uh, uh, Niagara, Niagara Falls, Falls or something. Yeah. It was a huge, it was, it was just crazy until, until everything had, a, a, you know, basically until the salt mine filled up with water and everything got back into equilibrium. But, but it was like a giant whirlpool pulling in like yes. gigantic Tank. crater ships. Yes, and, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was off the, off the post a video on YouTube. Uh, let me write a note about that. But yeah. There was, was a, a, there's a modern mar- marvels about that. Yes. Like, yeah, that yeah, yeah, that yeah. show on the history channel. It, it's really, really interesting. So. Yeah, you have a chance after you watch our podcast on YouTube, you can check that out. But uh, it, it's it's it just goes to show you how massive these mines are. The fact that it could drain a gigantic lake, continue to drain the lake to the point where now you're essentially sucking the Gulf of Mexico backwards up the Mississippi River into this lake. Yeah, yeah, it's oh man, wild, wild stuff. Yeah. Um, and goes to show you, make sure you study your math. You know, <laughs> what do they say? Or they always say construction, uh, measure, tw- uh, Me- measure twice, cut, cut once. Cut once. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're, you know, think back to your, your trig teacher and you may have thought to yourself, what would I ever need this for? Yeah. Well, this is it. This is it for when somebody drills into a lake accidentally and you have to, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Lake Pinor is, is, uh, one of those crazy incidents. So very, very cool. Um, yeah. Jesse, did so, you want to go with another story? What's that? Did you want to go with another story? No, I'm, I'm good for now. I think um, I've, I've got a thing about salt, but I'll, I'll talk about that maybe on the, on the bonus Patreon. Have you read that book, Salt? Yeah, it's great. Mark Kurlansky. Yeah, yeah, it was a good book. He also wrote one about cod that is also good. Oh, I haven't read that. Yeah, full circle on the podcast. I have seen Welcome Back, <laughs> Cotter, but so, um, yeah, very, very cool. Well, uh, I'd like to re-push our merch, as the kids are calling it these days, merch on our website. Make sure you check it out cups and or sorry excuse me mugs and stickers and maybe possibly something soon to be coming very soon very soon very soon oh i like it (laughs) um so anyways you can all that stuff you can check out on geologyflannelcast.com uh the other thing you can check out on geologyflannelcast.com if you want to get a hold of us stop by say hi um, you can uh, hit us up, shoot us an email, shoot us a message on geologyfinalcast.com. Um, also, every once in a while, we do an episode about uh, listener questions. We have a bunch of listeners send us questions, and we answer them on air. It's always a, always a blast to do these questions, to answer these questions. And you guys send us some awesome questions. I'm always always like amazed at the, the caliber of questions that are coming in from, uh, from this stuff. So. Yeah. Really cool. So send those send those in. Everyone's like I said, we'll probably do one uh, in a little bit of the listener question episode. And we do love those listener question episodes, but a faster way to get your listener question answered is to become a Patreon member. When you become a Patreon member, we have different different tiers, and one of the tiers is you get to ask us a question like toot sweet, and we will uh, get to that question uh, slightly quicker. <laughs> we we try to get them as as best we can but uh yeah our listener question episodes tend to be some of our funnest funnest episodes if you will more fun uh, more funner thank you uh more funner episodes so um but at patreon you know check us out um hook us up help us out we're we're thinking about maybe getting we were talking about chris while chris's headphones aren't on and talking about maybe getting him some Bluetooth headphones so he can walk away from the mic without. These are Bluetooth headphones. Then why are they plugged in? Because it only works if I plug it, hook it up to my phone. I can't plug it into the computer. Like, anyways, we'll talk about this <laughs> off air, right? <laughs> See, all these things we might. I guess we're gonna have to upgrade Chris's computer to include Bluetooth. So. <laughs> Oh, good times. Uh, but yeah, 
check us out on Patreon, um, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Twitter, Twitter is geo flannel cast. Twitter's right? geo flannel cast. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, please check us out. Give us likes, share us. And it's a uh, tell a family member December, right? I love that. That's great. Yeah. Perfect. Tell yeah. a family member December. Um, and then when like, you know, parents ask you, you know, and you're an adult now, like, what do you want for Christmas? I don't know. I don't really need anything. You should be like, you know what I want? I want a geology flannel cast coffee mug. That's what I want. And then send them to the website. And then, you know, your parents can be like, I have a question. I have this rock in my backyard. What is it? And then we'll try to answer it. And then they can also see all the links that we talk about (laughs) from the podcast and they can learn a lot more. Yeah, exactly. See all the things you can do on the, on the geologyflannelcast.com? And one of the links on our geologyflannelcast.com is the formatting formula. We'd like to thank them again for being our sponsor. We always appreciate them for all your Word documenting formatting needs. So check them out too. I guess until next time. I don't know. I'm Steve. Uh, sure, I'm Chris. Yeah, I'm, I'm Jesse. All right. Thanks, everybody. We love you guys. And, oh, quick note, we will not be doing a podcast next week because <gasps> of the holidays. For shame. Sorry, I forgot, to, I forgot to mention. So look at all these people. If you stop listening early, if you press the stop button when we started doing the wrap them up stuff, they're going to miss us. All this, yeah. They're going to miss all this stuff. So. Uh, but our Patreons, uh, you can, you know, if you do sign up for Patreon, um, Jesse and I are going to have a staring contest for two hours on Monday. Yeah. So if you want to check that out, we'll see who blinks first. Um, you know, Jesse's an odds on favorite cause he wears the glasses, but you know, we'll see. I've been visiting it up all week. So, and I will be refereeing. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> check us out. I can't wait. All right. Thanks everybody. Uh, happy holidays. Um, all that jazz. And, uh, we'll see you shortly before the new year, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll have one more, one more for the, for this year. Yeah. Yeah. One more for 2020, buddy. We got to get it in. Yeah. Yeah. So, (laughs) all right. So we'll be back, uh, in two weeks. So, uh, thanks again, everyone. We love you guys and, uh, see you. Stay safe out there. Bye. Bye.